Hey, everybody, this is Dan Kidder. I am your host of the Cedar City Politics and Citizens, Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government and what's really happening in Southern Utah candidate forum interviews. So what we're going to be doing here is we'll be having all of the political candidates for Cedar City Council into the studio and be interviewing them. And each candidate will receive 45 minutes. So this is a little confusing for a lot of people. The way this works is it's not like a county commission seat or a school board seat where you're running for a specific seat. So currently we have five, six people on the city council, five people on the city council. Um, yeah, we have uh, Ron uh, Riddle. We have Tyler Melling. We have Scott Phillips. We have Craig Isom and we have Terry Hartley. Terry Hartley and Craig Isom are not running for re-election. Tyler Melling's seat is up for re-election, and he is running for re-election, so he will be one of the candidates. He'll be in the studio tomorrow. And so those two seats that are open, there, are, there were eight candidates had filed to run for those seats. So unlike a county commission seat where you run for a seat A or a seat B or school board, you run for you know district one, two, three, four, whatever, it's just a free-for-all. It's everybody who puts their name in the hat, and the top three vote-getters end up getting the top three seats. So we did have eight. Uh, one candidate, Mary Pearson, has dropped out, and so that leaves us seven. If we had one less, there would not be a primary. If there were only six candidates, there would be no primary. But since we have seven candidates for three seats, there will be a primary in September. And then the general election, the top six vote-getters will go to the ballot in November for the general election. So that's very confusing, I know, but uh, that's the way we've got it set up. So joining me today for the very first guest that we're going to be bringing in is Mr. Carter Wilkie. And uh, Carter, go ahead and tell us a little bit about why you're running and yourself and what you'd like people to know about you. Perfect. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Dan. Um, I am Carter Wilkie running for Cedar City Council. This is the second time I've ran for City Council. Ran two years ago. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't get in that time, so here we are again. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I moved to Cedar City here in early, early 2016. Uh, since moving here, all of our children have been born here. We've had four kids born here. We, I graduated from SUU, have a bachelor's from SUU. Um, and just love this community. Cedar City really is a great place. I grew up in the Salt Lake Valley. I have family that have lived here in Cedar City, so I visited Cedar City throughout my life quite a bit, and work brought me here, and then soon after moving here, uh, took a change in career, went from the insurance industry to the real estate industry, so I'm a real estate agent. Most people know that, and I'm you know famous for having my face on the side of my truck and trailer and those types of things, so I guess I'm not scared of you know having my face out there, but so been in the real estate industry last couple of years. We've gotten a little bit into the development industry, built a few homes, spec homes, those types of things, and created a little development company. Nothing too serious. Right now we're working on a project that I'm super excited about. We actually bought when I say we, I mean myself and my wife bought an old home right across from the fire station on 800 West, one of the old abandoned homes. There's two of them sitting right there. We were able to acquire one and we're in the process of tearing it down and, and going to be tearing it down and 
we're actually going to be building uh, a fourplex, but the whole complex is pet friendly. So the whole thing is pet friendly in mind. It's going to have its own little mini dog park and, you know, everything designed around people who are allowed to have animals in their rentals, which is something we need a little bit more of here in Cedar City. So that's a little bit about me, what I do. Um, <clears throat> I love to serve. I know that everybody says, oh, well, you know, it's easy to say you love to serve, but I really do. And I think I have the track record to prove that. You know, all the things that I've done since we've moved here to Cedar City, I've, I've served as the president of the Friends Board of the Iron County Children's Justice Center. That was a two-year uh, term, and I also served on their board as a member at large. I've served on the board of directors for the um, Board of Realtors, for the Iron County Board of Realtors, which is my profession. Also have served and currently serve again as the board of directors for the Cedar City Area Chamber of Commerce. And then there's the service that I've done for the city. I served on the city's active transportation committee. Uh, I served on the master plan revision committee. I currently serve on Cedar City Board of Adjustments, and I also serve on Cedar City's uh, planning and zoning commission. So serving is really something I want to do. And, you know, it was kind of just instilled at me at a young age. I had some medical issues when I was really little. And so the fact that I'm even here is actually an amazing thing, right? So I think throughout my life, that's kind of instilled in me that, hey, you need to give back. You're lucky to even be here. So give back, give back to your community. And so that's something I really love to do. And I have a wife that supports me in doing that, right? Because not only do I have to help provide for my family, but anytime I'm out serving my community is time I'm taking away from my wife and from my kids. And she supports me in that. And, you know, my kids are really little and hopefully they support me in that. And hopefully one day, you know, they'll continue to support me in that. So those are a lot of the things. Um, my introduction to politics and here in Cedar City was kind of an interesting one. You know, I, I didn't really used to be involved, but I started going to, to uh, city council meetings back in 2018. That's when I started to get involved and kind of saw some things and I decided just to start going and I've pretty much been going ever since. I mean, I miss a meeting here or there, but for the most part, I've been almost, well, vastly the majority, for sure the majority of all city council meetings since 2018. So I've really been able to see, you know, what this job entails, what it takes, and I feel that we need good people. We need people that are informed. We need people that are open to talk to members of the public. One thing that um, I see often that's hard is a lot of people come in and they talk and then I talk to people afterwards who have been in the meeting and they say, well, I don't feel like we're ever get listened to or I don't even know why I bother to come. And I feel that's one reason why we have such low attendance at a lot of our city council meetings. I mean, I know everybody's busy. Wednesday night, 530, you know, we all have places we could be but it's important to be civically engaged and be part of your community. And, and for me, it's been interesting because I don't feel like I've ha ever had an issue going up to any of our city council people or staff or mayor or anybody and having a conversation with them. But we have members of our community that feel that there is a problem and they don't feel comfortable doing that. And I don't know why. And so that's one of the things that I hope as if, you know, if elected, that people can feel comfortable and they will come talk to me and talk to me about their concerns. And so those are a few of the things that uh, I take into consideration when I decided to, to run again this time, and uh, we'll see how it goes. You left out your most important accomplishment, and, and that is you are the guy who hands out the Icy Pops. Oh, boy. All of the parades yes. and events. Yes, we, we, we handed out the Icy Pops for quite a few years. That's quite the task. 7,000 Otter Pops to freeze. Uh, has been it's, it's difficult. We had to buy a whole other freezer for our garage just for the Icy Pops. This year we actually did something different. This year we did Little American Flags. So less gonna, work, yeah, yeah, less, less electricity American flags. And, you know, and, and we're trying to 
the city's a little concerned with some of the safety issues at, at the parade, and they're trying to do things in the Lions Club who puts on the parade. And so I figured the American flags might have a little less children running up to try and grab one than the, than the otter pops. So we did American flags this year, and it went really well, and it was really fun to see all the little kids, you know, waving the American flag. As the big one goes by, we mount a big one onto a trailer and, you know, drive it up and down the parade route. So All right. Well, what are the, um, the top issues that, uh, and, and, you know, some people say, is it 10 issues? It's going to be different for every candidate, but it, there could be one, two, three, a hundred. But what are your top issues that you're most concerned about if you get elected to city council? So, you know, it's interesting. People think that being a city councilman, you know, is one, an easy job, and I don't think it is whatsoever. And there are so many different things. And that's one thing where I've been there for so many meetings. I've seen everything that that job actually entails. And what people also forget is it's not only what you see in the meeting, but as a city council person, you also sit on different boards, you sit on different committees that you're responsible for. So, I mean, everybody kind of has their niche and where they fall in and the things that are really important to them. So, as far as the important issues, you know, water, of course, is a big one. It's hard to say which one's number one, correct? But water is a big one. And the city has done a great job in the last few years. I mean, there's so many different ways to attack this giant problem. You know, the problem being we just don't have enough water. We have this groundwater management plan that has started to come into effect. It's been implemented by the state. Um, you know, our first water cutoff is in 2035. So it's coming up. And so the question is, do we conserve water? Do we acquire more water? Do we recharge water? Well, the true answer is you have to do all of the above. You know, it's trying to get all of them. Take, uh, trying, trying to figure, figure them all out. So, so the city's, city's been doing lots of exploratory wells. They're trying to find new sources of water. Recently, some, some people are aware the city purchased water. Um, some water rights, 1,000 acre feet. They're in the process of finishing those negotiations, and they'll be bringing that water into Cedar Valley at some point. Um, you know, there's plan for the Beaver Valley or Hamlet Valley pipeline, Pine Valley pipeline, you know, and all that entails and the work of the Water Conservancy District. So, so water, water, of course, is a big one. one. Like, like I said, I don't, I don't think there's, there's any one answer, answer to that, that problem. It's just, just knowing all the different ways to help our problem, to help our, our situation, and to work, to work on all of those together. together. There's, there's not one answer, answer to that. So and it's a really complicated issue because there's so many pieces of it between recharge and where do we drill wells and what are the water rights and expiring water rights yep. and pulling water in from Pine Valley and all these different things and the Water Conserv Conservation Board and and People all will say water is really important, but as soon as you start to get into those nitty-gritty details, you watch their eyes glaze over. Yeah. And so you need that participation and that feedback from people, but they don't want to be bothered by the nitty-gritty details of it's that. It's a commitment. It's it really it, – it, the more I've gotten into it, I, I kind of find myself going, oh, dear God, this is, this is big. Yeah, we got no, a I lot mean, of pieces to it. And anybody who's ever dealt in water rights, and you know, and, and every state does water rights different, you know. And Utah has their water rights system. And as a real estate person, you know, I've helped in in the purchasing and selling of water rights. I've bought and sold water rights myself, and it is a process. I mean, you know, you go to buy a water right, you're not even guaranteed that that water right you're going to be able to use it for what you want to build. Yeah, it could be a pre nineteen thirteen. It could be a pre nineteen forty four. It's it's insane. Yep. It, it might not be able to be moved to the location <clears throat> where you'd like to use it. We have different water basins, and so it, you need people. And again, it's not every council person's job to be an expert on water rights, right? We have some that know more than others, and, and they participate in an extra level more than others, and that's great. And so I would hope to be one of those that knows 
quite a bit about water and is willing to learn more about water and do all that I can during my time, if elected, to help the water situation in any way that I can. And like I said, there's very many different facets that we can help our water situation. There's no one answer to the whole problem. What other so, issues are important to you? You know, water, so water being one of them, um, continuing up our infrastructure, infrastructure in many different ways. You know, 2021 was hard for Cedar City. We had lots of flooding, not, I mean, not only here in Cedar City, Enoch also saw it. And so the city's been spending lots of uh, resources, both money and time. Um, Seems like we either don't have enough water or we have too I much know. water. There's either no in between. Way. And the problem is when we get water, we can't use the water to drink the water. It, you know, because when we get too much water, it's mud and you can't really drink. Yeah, mud. it's kind of hard to do that. So so continuing with our infrastructure there, I also can, you know, part of our infrastructure to me is also our police and fire, making sure that they're moving forward and that they're having what they need and that they're getting the resources that they need to be able to do their jobs. Um, I mean, just this last weekend, you were there and you were able to uh, participate with us, which I appreciate. We had, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and the Board of Realtors and the Home Builders put together our first responders appreciation luncheon. And one of the things that we were trying to do at that luncheon was raise money for defibrillators. Only six out of our 30 cruisers have defibrillators in them. So if you happen to be and have a cardiac issue and the, and most of the time it's the officers that arrive before emergency, before other emergency personnel, you know, the officers oftentimes are the first ones to arrive. And so them being able to have that equipment and be trained on that equipment could save a person's life. And, and, knowing, and seconds count with those. Oh, for sure. Seconds count. For sure. And so knowing that, oh, when I call 911, by the way, I hope you can dispatch me somebody that does have a defibrillator because I, you know, it, it, so we need to make sure it's things like those, making sure that our officers have everything they need. You know, our fire department, <clears throat> one thing about fire is it's expensive. Yeah. The buildings are expensive. The trucks are really expensive. They're apparatus. They're apparatus, not trucks. Sorry, apparatus. apparatus. I got corrected. Yeah. Well, Chief Phillips will let you, you know. You can correct me anytime <laughs> you want. So, yes, the apparatus are very expensive. Um, we recently were able to acquire a new a new water truck. The city, you know, the chief and his crew showed that off a few months ago or a few weeks ago at city council. And that was really good. They've recently put in a new order in for a, for a ladder truck. Those things take five years to build. Yeah. Five years to build the apparatus, apparatus. So apparati, apparati. I don't know what the plural is for apparatus. Sorry. So, um, you know, they've recently acquired land to build a new fire station at the south end of the valley, which is where we're seeing a lot of growth. And so that's going to be a big thing during this next four years. For example, is okay. Now that we have the land and some money has been budgeted to start designing that building, it's okay. How do we pay for this building? Because really, that's a big. You know, it's a big cost. Because not only is it the building, but then you have the apparatus that go in the building. And then you have the staff to staff that building. And so, I mean, it's a big project, but it's something that we need to move forward on because we need to make sure that we're protecting that end of our, of our city and our citizens. And so I, I know that during these next four years, that's going to be one of the big discussions is how do we pay for this building? How do we pay for the staff? How do we pay for those types of things? And so that's going to be a big one too. So infrastructure is another big one. And watching the dollars and cents. You know, one of the most interesting things for me, and um, Councilman Riddle brings this up actually quite a bit, and it's interesting. People come, and it's interesting what people get involved in, which part of the city process they care the most about, right? It could be something small that draws a very large crowd. You know, I've heard, I wasn't in these meetings, but one of the largest meetings they always talk about is back when it was how many dogs can a person have, right? right? The room was packed, the hallway was packed, but when the city's sitting there discussing a 20 plus million dollar budget there's like two of us in the room there's three of us in the room and so 
you know, I've sat through for the last five years. I've sat through the budget meetings or as many as I can. I the act not only the actual council meetings, but the the city council holds special sessions during budget season where every um, every department head comes in one at a time and says, "Hey, I need money for this. I need money for this." They discuss their wants and their needs, and they kind of work through that so that then the mayor can know what to put into his budget or her budget for the year. And so I, I've sat through that process. So the budget is a very big thing, and making sure that we have the the funds and that we have the resources to do what we need to do. Everything, there's always needs and wants, Yeah, correct? And for the most part, most people don't realize the city's in the black. Yeah, the city does very well. Yeah. Yeah, Cedar City does very well. We've been able to build quite a bit of uh, a reserve, uh, which has been good. Our, our debts are fairly low. You know, one thing that most people don't realize, we have some of the lowest taxes of any city, especially of a city of our size. You know, both our, our, our sales tax rate is fairly low compared to other places. And so even places closer to here, I mean, you look at places like Bryan Head, their sales tax is higher than ours. And down in Washington County, most of the cities there have a higher sales tax. And our, and our water's cheap. Yep. And our water's cheap. The city's been That's going to be changing probably. That, but. That, well, that is changing. I think July, for, I could be mistaken, but I think July 1st is when some of the new water rates started changing. And so... Um, so that's a big thing too is making sure that we're keeping an eye on the dollars and cents and that we're spending them wisely and you know you build up these big amounts of money you know let's say 10 million dollars and you think oh my gosh that's a lot of money sitting there we could do 10 million dollars in a city-wide or in a city-sized project it can be gone very quickly yeah that's the thing other people don't realize as well is, is if i were to go out and build a building and I'd spend a million dollars to build this building, it's going to cost the city $10 million to build it because of, you know, procurement processes oh, yeah. and bidding processes and engineering reports. And, yep. you know, it, it... I've been shocked many times when I sit there and they're talking about how much it costs to engineer something. And I'm like, that's just to engineer it? Yeah. The private, you know, the private sector, we could build it for that cost, not only just engineering, but... And I'll be honest, I don't have the answer right here on how we get around that, right? I mean, that's... I don't know that we do. I think it's just kind of the cost of government doing business yeah. and why it's more efficient for the private sector to do things than it is for government. Yeah. So when government does things, I mean, it does, it's expensive to build things. And so, I mean, we sit here and, you know, and I could be off on these numbers a little bit, but I mean, approximately from what I understand, you know, the city has been able to run a, a not a profit, but they've been able to run, um, you know, and have about a million to a million and a half dollars a year that they've been able to put away for the last few years to build this thing. And so it, it's not that we, we can't build up these big, large amounts of money very quickly. It takes a lot, a lot because the city has a lot. And then things happen. 2021 happens and floods happen. And right. You can drain these things quite quickly. And so. But the other side of that is we don't, we very seldom wait until we have enough money in the bank to build something. We can borrow money. Yeah. And that gets done quite a bit, and that's done in the form of a SPLOST, a special purpose local option sales tax. And that gets added on to service the debt to every purchase that everybody in town makes. And and another thing that gets added on to every purchase in town that somebody makes is what we call our recreation arts and our arts tax. Yep. tax. And that is going to be on the ballot this year. Um, there's some controversy around that since they decided to, the RAP committee decided to award $14,000 to the Johnson Center for the Arts, which the very next week put on a drag show for children. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'll, and I know that this is, this is obviously a big item in our community right now, right? It's not only our community, St. George is, is seeing everything. So let me start by saying this. I do support RAP tax. 
I know that that's some people will agree with me on that. Some people will disagree with me on that, right? And that's that's just the way politics work. That's the way we're allowed to have differing opinions. So I am a supporter of rap tags. Yesterday I actually sat down. I actually brought oops. I actually brought it with me. I was able to go back. Well, I can go back further, but I went back to 2010. And I looked at every single year's agenda items for those meetings, and I looked where every single dollar and cents went for wrap tax, both on the recreation side and on the art side. So I did that from 2010 to 2000 to 2023. And so there are so many great things in our community that have received, you know, funds from the wrap tax, um, both on the art side and on the recreation side. I mean, we have lots of trails because of wrap tax. We have great ball fields because of rap tax money's been set aside for new parks because of rap tax you know and then on the arts we have things like the shakespeare festival receives money from the rap tax in jubilee we have children's musical theater we have the library we have homestead uh frontier state park that's received money from rap tax the rotary club has received large amounts of money from the city in rap tax for um, the canyon park and for their additions there so I do support the rap tax. Now, as far as the events that happened over the weekend in the drag show, see, I, I like to look at it as I have what I personally feel and what I feel like if I'm an elected official, where my where that line kind of gets drawn a little bit. And so for me personally, it's not something that I support. It's not something that I would want my kids to participate in. It's not something I would want to participate in. So obviously I make sure that me or my kids aren't there and participating in this. So where I think about this, and I've thought about this long and hard. I spent the whole weekend, because I knew this was something that we were going to discuss, and, and it's not only with you, obviously. I have this, I've had calls, and where do you stand on this, and where do you feel about this? And so, but as I sat back and I really thought about it, you know, for me and myself, obviously it's something I don't want. Do I personally think it's something good for our community? No. Now, as an elected official, do I think that, I have the right to stop a group from gathering and from doing what they did. I don't think as an elected official I have that right. Now the question comes in, should taxpayer money go to support a group like that? I think that's the question. I don't think very many people are going to argue the First Amendment right that these people have to gather and to Absolutely. do what they want. So, and, and you, of course, being one of those people, I under, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I know that you're not going to argue that. You're going to argue, should the taxpayer funds go towards something like that? Well, as I've sat down and thought about it, as I've read a lot about what happened in St. George and some of the money that it's cost them down in St. George, another thing as a council person, I don't think I want to be opening the city up to litigation either you know you want to try and make sure that you do what you can to protect that taxpayer money you don't want to waste it spending it but you also don't want to do things that are then going to open it up for litigation and so as far as whether or not the next time well let me step back once the wrap tax was issued i don't feel that the government can come back and say well we issued you some money we allocated you money unconditionally now we can't take it back but if they come forward the next time, then there's the question of, do we grant it the next time, correct? And where, and, and again, and I haven't, I mean, this just barely happened a few days ago, so I haven't heard or asked the police department if any calls were made, if anything did happen, if there were, I mean, if a law is broken, a law is broken, and that's going to that's going to drastically change the conversation. And there was a protest, and so, you know, also, if protesters break the law, correct. the laws are broken correct. as well. So, but... For example, you know, the next time that if the Johnson Center comes forward again, it and I'm sure there's going to be conversation about it. If any law was broken, that completely changes the conversation for me. You know, if a law was broken by a group that you supported, 
then you're not going to get the funds, in my opinion. Now, if laws are not broken, people stayed within their constitutional right. I don't know at this point, Dan, and I know that some people will, you know, don't like this answer, but I don't know at this point if legally as a council person we could say no because you supported a group. Well, that's the argument. I was actually talking with an attorney about this, and he told me that we really can't say no as long as there's a rap tax. So really the only way to say no is to eliminate the rap tax. Now, and I'm a supporter of rap tax because I, and I know that again, in a way, I mean, it's a voluntary tax. We've, we're choosing as citizens every 10 years. And as Dan has mentioned, it's going to, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be on the ballot this November. Um, I don't know how many years we've actually had it. I know it's been on for at least. I think last, it's every 10 years. It, it's it gets, every 10 years. So I know it's been yeah. the last 10 years. I was not able to see if it was the 10 years before that. I don't know. Right. And so, so I know for the last 10 years we've had it. It's 0.1 of a percent. So I believe here in Cedar City, it takes our sales tax from 6.1 to 6.2. So it's 0.1 of a percent. So as far as what will happen in the future, if the RAP tax passes, which I personally hope it does, because I see the good that it does do in our community. And so if it passes and the Johnson Center comes forward again, then we're just going to have to have those discussions. I don't know at this point. I I mean, I've seen the council choose not to give money to groups. So it's got to be possible in one way or the other. I just don't know the reasonings behind why money hasn't been given or why it has been given. And to me, it's, it's there's a lot of legal questions behind it. I mean, this is a very litigious item right now, and so I don't want to say, you know, yes Yeah, or my no. understanding is there are certain boxes that have to be checked of, you know, what the funds are going to go for, not just for general operating. And so if all of those boxes are checked, then they pretty much have to to give it. Yeah, and I've never sat on the RAP tax committee. You know, again, it's one of those things that a council person sits on that committee. They sit through all those meetings. They're part of the RAP tax, both on the art side and on the on the uh, and on the recreation side. Those committees then make a recommendation to the city council. From what I've been able to see, especially in my research yesterday, for the most part, those recommendations are followed, and those yeah. are the, but not always. I've seen there has been recommendations that are made that the city council has then. Well, let's pull a little bit from this and put it here. Or let's not go ahead and fund that one at all. And you know they've moved it around a little bit, but for the most part they follow the recommendations of those committees. So, you know, and that's why we have committees, right, is to kind of start the process and to do the research and to make a recommendation. Well, there's just way too much work for any city council member to do oh, all they had that to, themselves. Yeah. yeah. If they had to sit through all that, it would be yeah, it would be a much larger job. So, so you're a real estate agent, and one of the biggest issues that's facing us is growth. Yep. We're growing at an, some would say, an alarming rate. Some would say at a prodigious rate. Okay. Um, but... You also mentioned infrastructure with that. I don't know if you've noticed the Main Street, the traffic is just really difficult. I ride a motorcycle. It's almost impossible to cross Main Street um, unless there's a light. So what do you think about our growth? There are those who would try to put moratoriums on new development. There are those who would uh, say all all who want to may come uh, or some find, find some happy medium in between. Where do you stand on the growth issue and the infrastructure issue with that? Well, first off, I want to talk a little bit about the traffic because that was something that you brought up. People all the time are like, we are growing so fast you can tell just because of the traffic. And what's interesting is, I mean, the population, of course, is growing. We're still a pretty small town, right? So what it is is it feels larger. To me, it feels much larger than it is because – not because of the number of people but because really the lack of some of that infrastructure that we have. And 
there's not much we can go back and do about it now, right? You can't really widen Main Street. You can't really widen 200 North. I mean, of course, everything can be done, but, you know, those are kind of set. And so one of the big things that we need to do, and not that the city hasn't been doing this, and, and I want to actually talk about that for a second. Often people think, well, it's the city's fault that nothing's happening on the North End, you know, but if you understand the private market, there's yeah. a private market. Now, the city can, you know, the city can make development easier or harder, right? I mean, there are things and there's regulations and ordinances and those types of things. But at the end of the day, if a, bu- if a business wants to buy a piece of property, check off the boxes they have to with the city and build a building, a business can do that, right? The city's not going to stop a business from coming to Cedar City. Well, they legally can't if well, they meet all of the master plan and, zoning correctly. Yep. Yeah, legally. And a lot of people don't understand that, that if they meet all those requirements, the city cannot legally stop them from coming in. Just Nor they should. They, well, they legally can't. The state law doesn't let them. And so that's a big thing I run into with people all the time is they'll talk about, well, why doesn't the city put a moratorium on building? And legally they cannot. And they go, well, they did it in Colorado. Well, yeah, but we're not Colorado. We're Utah. Yeah. I mean, if you have – I think there are certain situations where a city can. For example, I know of a couple of cities in Utah – um, and, and I don't know all the exacts, so I don't want to give specifics, but I know of a couple cities in Utah where, for example, their water systems, their wells, their tanks, they're just at capacity. Yeah. So they've had to stop building because they can't do more water. There's no more water, right? So, But in Cedar City today, we have the water that we need. Now, that story could change over the year as these cuts start coming if we're not able to acquire more water or bring more water in or recharge water to the point where the state says, okay, you guys are now okay and we will stop cutting the water. But at the end of the day, today we have the water that we need to do what we, you know, to be able to continue building. So a moratorium on building, as I see, I I don't see a way for us to be able to stop that at this point, you know, to be able to say, okay, no more doors are closed, right? So, but going back to what I was saying about the traffic, I think really working, and there's multiple people that need to, you know, you need to work on this with, with the Economic Development Committee. And, and again, a lot of these conversations happen behind, not behind closed doors, but happen before they ever come out to the public, right? And so, I mean, there could be things planned and happening on the North End that I don't even know about, and I serve on the Planning Commission. So, but trying to move some of that retail and things to the north end as best as we can that's what's going to help take the traffic off the south end because people don't have to you know make the jaunt all the way through downtown and and really just the way our streets are designed you know if if you live in the Sunbow area or in Fiddler's area, and you're not big on backtracking. I'm one, I don't like to backtrack. I don't like to go the opposite way just to yeah. try and go the other way. So let's say I live in Sunbow and I get on Main Street and I want to go to Walmart. I'm just going to start down Main Street. I'm going to get to 200 North and then I'm going to think, okay, do I cut all the way down 200 North and go through all those lights to get on the freeway? Nah, I'll just, or I miss that, I forget and I'm not paying attention. I go through 200 North. I'm now on Main Street all the way to Walmart, right? And so now I've taken all this traffic that doesn't need to go through downtown through downtown and so it's funny you say that because my girlfriend lives on sunbow yeah. and we're remodeling her house and we make you know You're going 40, to home depot 40 trips to home depot <laughs> and it was the same exact do i want to go up towards loves and get on the freeway there which is going north yep. and i want to go south I'm, I'm the same way i hate backtracking yeah and uh but yeah it's it's a real struggle for people now there is in the master plan there's there's several master plans there's yeah. water master plan, there's you know roads, roads infrastructure. infrastructure, and on the roads master plan, the transportation master plan, there is a plan for sort of a loop yep. around the downtown main area 
that goes through the neighborhoods that isn't connected yet. Yep. Um, and so I don't know a lot of people are aware of that. But and, and there's a lot of things, you know, and, and how we build our master planned streets, that's a whole other side of it too, right? If it's undeveloped land with a master planned road, don't expect a road to be there till that land gets developed. Right. You know, that is one way that Cedar City, um, and there's lots of talk about this, is, you know, who should be building our roads? Who should be putting in our infrastructure? Should it be the city, which is going to equal more taxes? Or should it be we wait and have the developer do it when they build, and that's the path that the city has chosen? Yeah, they've done a really good job with every PDUD that gets a planned urban development yep. uh, that gets built, a, a subdivision. Um, they have to build those roads, build the fire uh, uh, hydrant uh, infrastructure, mm -hmm. put so much aside for green space, for parks, um, and they all have to be built to the specifications that the city engineer oversees and approves and signs off on and says it is to our code and our specifications. Is it wide enough to turn a fire truck around on it? That's a big one. Yeah, that's a Make big sure one. sure you have your fire truck access. Yeah. You know, another one is you can't have more than 80 units in a subdivision without having two accesses. As soon as you get to your 81st unit, you have to have a second access, and that's for people to egress and ingress, and in the case of an emergency, for people to be able to you know, quickly leave that subdivision. And so, but, um, but going back to your main question, as far as the growth, um, Cedar City is going to continue to grow. You know, I mean, the same reasons that you and I love to live here are the same reasons why other people are going to love to live here. Right. And so now, you know, I don't know all the hard numbers, but one thing I will say is, I mean, there's been a lot of planned developments. We, there's been a lot that have been approved. Um, I mean, to the tune of thousands of homes, I mean, the city has approved the, the building of thousands of, lo of lots, you know, and then the building will happen on top of that. So it, the growth is happening and it's already been approved. So now we're just going to wait for it to slowly do its thing. I do think it slowed down some, you know, I mean, we've seen developers that have put the brakes on a little bit. Well, the economy is kind of yep. crashing down. Yep. Kind of wait to see what happens and interest rates, you know, definitely haven't helped. And so that's going to slow things down a little bit. I mean, that was the government's goal of raising interest rates is to slow certain slow things down. Certain so, the so, other thing people don't realize is anywhere from 70 to 80% of our city's economy is in somehow, some way related to development. Yeah. Whether it's the trades, you know, plumbers, electricians, contractors, whether it's real estate agents, yep. whether it's title companies, mortgage home companies, insurance, mortgage companies, home inspectors, the list goes on and on. So and on. hitting the brakes too hard hits the brakes on everybody in, in this community. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Well, and then as soon as you start, you know, as soon as contractors don't have money, then the supply houses start growing, then the supply people lose their job. And then the restaurant that they go out to eat on every Friday night starts losing customers. Yeah. And it's just a snowball effect that, so growth is a very hard thing to manage, but as I mean, having the infrastructure is important, you know, and, and one of the things about that is we build roads and we build infrastructure as the growth happens. That's the, that's the way that Cedar City has done it for right. years. Well, it's I think every city, and you, you take two to three years to build that road or that highway, and you build it to what the capacity is going to be when it's finished. Yep. So as immediately as it's finished, if growth continues, it's obsolete. Yeah. And, and that's every municipality in the world because nobody wants to pay more taxes to build you know a 10-lane road that they'll need in 20 years today. You know, that road, that can gets kicked down the road a little bit further every time. Yep. So growth is a big one. Um, yeah. 
trying to think what your other part of your question was, but well, I mean, it was mainly about stopping the uh, the growth. And yeah, do we grow? You know, I think what's often been said is we grow intelligently. We're going to grow. We just choose how we want to grow. We can either try to block it and we get a hodgepodge mess, um, or we try to plan for it and have that planned growth, which I think the city has done a pretty good job of doing. Yeah, and one thing that um, one thing that the city has tried to do more recently than maybe in the past is especially trying to because as we've seen with this traffic and what we've discovered is we do not want all of our commercial in one area right because that makes it very difficult so they are trying to preserve commercial corridors along some of your more major roads whether that be lund highway highway 56 minersville highway these types of places we need to preserve those commercial corridors because if we turn those into high density then again we've put houses where businesses should go and then it's going to make cross hollows road that's another example of a location where some commercial would be great along there so that we can get people not having to come all the way into the south end of town to do the exact same thing so well, that that raises an issue that i think you were involved in and that was the downtown historic uh planning group i'm not sure of the proper name I can't, of it. We, ha- we have two his we have two downtown committees and i always get their name we have the preservation committee and we have the downtown historic economic committee and then historic one of those wanted to put some pretty draconian restrictions on the types of businesses that had to occupy the, the ground level um, of these buildings that are downtown and there was some pushback on that and i think you were in favor of that at first but you you moderated your decision tell me about that well so the the recommendation that came from and and, and again i i'm 90 percent sure it was the downtown historic downtown economic committee that made the recommendation right again we have the preservation committee and the economic committee and i'm fairly certain it was the economic committee this has been almost a year ago now that we've talked about this so yeah so they um they made a recommendation for um some different the table of uses essentially so if you look at what is allowed in certain districts we have a table of uses and it's allowed permitted conditional use you know and there's all these different things and it pretty much tries to label as many different business types as you can so the idea and their recommendation was to really try to get our downtown a more walkable touristy place that people want to hang out so the idea was you know restaurants and retail and try to get some of the offices and the office space off of the main level in downtown Cedar City. So um, it came before the Planning Commission. It did get a unanimous positive recommendation before the Planning Commission, which I do serve on. I served on at the time. Um, But one thing that I think we realized, especially after talking to more people, and and in that meeting, there was no public, nobody came from the public, no business owners were there, nobody said, you know, no red flags were thrown up at that point. And so, and also just so people know, so the Planning Commission makes a recommendation to the City Council. City Council ultimately makes those decisions, right? We can give a positive recommendation or a negative recommendation. Most of the time, the City Council follows the recommendation made by the Planning Commission, but just like the arts and parks things that we talked about earlier, City Council can make make any changes they want. We can make a unanimous negative recommendation and more information can come during the time that City Council is reviewing it and they give it a positive recommendation or vice versa. So um so we gave it a positive recommendation but one thing that i think we learned at least for myself was more can probably get accomplished with carrots than with sticks so as i look back on that issue now i think okay because parking was a big part of it you know what are some of the 
carrots that we could offer some of these building owners? What are some of the carrots we could offer them to make them want to turn into retail or a restaurant versus an office space? And what people don't realize is a lot of what we do, especially in the commercial zone, is all based off of parking. The type of business you have determines how many parking spaces you have to have. If you're a restaurant, it's based off of how many square feet. If you're this, it's based off of how many guests. If you're this, it's based off of that. If you're a hotel, it's based off of how many bedrooms, right? So a lot of things are based off of parking. And at the end of the day, office space requires less parking than retail or a restaurant, right? Because those are transit types businesses. There's a lot more people, they have busy hours. Businesses are just slow and steady. You're gonna have this many people in your office working at the computer, come five o'clock, they're gonna go home. So it's really easy to calculate those. So restaurants and retail require more parking than offices do. So if you have an area like the downtown, especially the historic downtown, where parking is very limited, it's gonna naturally, you're gonna start, it's gonna breed a area of offices, right? Cause that's what the parking kind of is gonna allow. So the parking needs to get looked at and is there carrots there that we can offer to maybe decrease the parking required by restaurants or uh, retail that would allow them to be able to do what we, you know, be able to open up more of those types of businesses. So ultimately went to city council, members of the public spoke up, which is great. Like. We would have loved to have had people at the planning commission to come talk to us about their feelings but nobody was there and so it did go to city council and the issue ultimately um i don't i don't know if it was rejected or if it was tabled or what exactly ended up happening but they said kind of let's go back to the drawing board let's go back to the historic economic committee or the downtown economic committee let's see what they can come up with with a new proposal that talks about these people's you know concerns and as far as I'm as far as I know, that's where it was. That's where it's at. And it hasn't come back to planning commission yet. Hasn't come back to city council. So, as of now, things are where they at. The one other thing too that I, I want to make sure people understand too is, if you had a business that was already doing an office or something like that, you were allowed to keep doing business. This right. isn't this right. isn't a this hey, is new development be, coming yep, in. Got to be gone tomorrow. And I and I could be mistaken on this part, but I'm fairly certain, fairly certain that it was even written in a way that if you were to even sell your building to another office that's doing the same type of business, they can keep doing it too. Right, so it, but it's if you owned a building and you had a tenant move out, yeah, you pretty much were stuck with bringing in retail or eateries. Again, I would have to go back and read through it all again. Like I said, it's been almost a year since we since this happened. And so, but there were certain clauses in there that also, I mean, kind of grandfathered even to the next person too. If you, you know, if I had a certain type of office and I sold it to another person who was doing that same type of business, they could keep doing it too. I, you know, it didn't have to automatically switch over. And so, um, so there was a lot to it, but I wish the discussion would have been bigger. You know, one thing that's hard about planning commission is, well, one thing that's hard about planning commission that's good for council is council has a week to talk about it and they work through it. And then they have a week to do more research, to talk to the parties involved. And that planning commission, it's we get the agenda, two days later we have the meeting and there's no, so if people aren't there discussing with us either before the meeting or at that meeting, then there's there's no time for me to go out and contact, for example, business owners right. that are affected by this. You got to deal with it right now. Yeah, city council, a lot of people don't realize is they'll have a, a consent agenda and then that's to move it to their action agenda Correct. for the next meeting. So these items get discussed and then they have a week to go do some research, talk to people. Yep. What I've always loved about Scott Phillips is he'll drive to the place in question. Oh yeah, and for sure. When the when the topic comes up, he'll start saying, "Well, on that north side, there's a ditch," and you know, yep. just he really knows those those issues. So you have that week. 
to really reflect on that. Where at Planning Commission, I mean, we get the agenda usually, our Planning Commission meetings are on Tuesday, so we get the agenda usually Friday afternoon. And so if nobody, you know, so you have the weekend and then you have Monday and that's it. And so if nobody reaches out and nobody comes to the meeting and most items are public hearings, I mean, we open it up to anybody to be able to say what they want to say about an agenda item usually. I don't, you know, there's no way for me to know how people are feeling about something if they don't come forward. And well, that's one of the reasons we do these interviews is people tell me all the time they don't understand the issues or they don't know anything the about the candidates. And, and yeah, the process is, is daunting. And so we try to keep people as informed as possible because if you do not participate, then you do get the government that you deserve. And what government needs more than anything is your active participation. And speaking of participation, Carter, go ahead and tell people how they can learn more about your campaign, support you, find out more about you, reach out to you, let them know how they can uh, get in touch with you. Well, I mean, that's one thing. You always try to make it as easy as possible during a campaign. I mean, I'm open to people. They can email me. They can visit the Facebook page, and I'll give all these details. Um, we have the website that's about ready to go live. So we've just been finishing up a few little details on the website. So the website will be coming up live. Um, I can give my phone number right now if that's okay. So my phone number is 801-688-2992. And we'll put all these in graphics on the bottom okay, of the screen. Okay, perfect, yep. So you got my phone number and then the email is carterforcedar at gmail.com. So I'm always open to receiving you know, an email, to receiving a phone call, a text. If you want to sit down, if you want me to come out to a site, if there's a concern that you have about something in particular and you want me to see it, of course, reach out. I mean, and if you see his picture on the side of a truck, yeah, just, just leave him a note and stick it under the, the windshield wiper. There you go. Yep. If you ever see, yep, the truck right now has magnets that say Cedar, you know, Carter for Cedar City Council. And so, you know, I try to be as, to, if you want to know where I'm going to be, come to a planning commission meeting on a Tuesday night. That's how you really track me down because that's for sure where I will be. And, you know, one thing that I want people to really know, and hopefully one of the takeaways that people get from this and for me is that I've, I've done everything I can to put the time in to learn what this job entails. You know, what I don't want and what I think is very hard is when I see, you know, a council person or somebody come into office who doesn't, can't quite hit the ground with the feet running. You know, they've got so much to learn. I mean, even myself, I mean, like I said, I've sat through hundreds of these meetings, both planning commission and city council. I mean, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours in these meetings and there's still going to be a lot that I have to learn. I know there is, and I'm yeah. open to that, and I want to learn. But somebody who hasn't spent their time, hasn't had butts in seat, you know, being there, they're going to have an even bigger hill to climb in learning. And so, and not that it can't be done. Of course it can be done. But that's one thing that I want people to know is that I've done everything I can for five years to put the time in to learn as much as I can so that I can just represent people as best as I, you know. So I'm not trying to learn the issue and learn people's concerns. So I, I kind of know the issues. Now I can just focus on people's concerns. Yeah, and, and I've seen you at the city council meetings, and you're there almost as often as I am, which I'm not at everyone. But, yeah. you know, and we've, we've often commented that you and I don't see eye to eye politically. But I think if we looked at the big issues, we probably are we probably do. way more. And, and the biggest issue is we both know the best restaurants in town. Yeah, Because that's where we run Dan into each other into all each the other time. All the time at lunch. It's, yeah. And I think on the small issues, like on the, the Aquatic Center expansion or something, you yeah. know, we, we disagree. But I think overall on the big issues, family, God, country, we, we see eye to eye more than you probably realize. And one thing that I hope people can understand is it's okay to disagree, right? Like it'd be boring a, if, the, if if we everybody all thought agreed the with same us. Same thing. If we all thought the city should be ran the same way, like 
it would not be a fun it would not be a good place to live right no. like we need to have differing opinions and here's the big thing just because i think differently than you does not make you a bad person does not make nope. me a bad person like we just differ on our opinions so. yep all right that is the end that's the alarm going off for the 45 minutes and i won't let me shut it off now my timer broke i plugged in the wrong plug and burned it up so I've given every candidate 45 minutes, and we've just had our end of our 45 minutes. And just a little housekeeping, um, this interview will be available on Apple Podcasts. It will also be available on the What's Really Happening in Southern Utah Facebook page and also on the Cedar City Politics Facebook page, and it will be shared on some other groups on Facebook as well. It's available in audio and available in video. And so whichever your preference is to listen to it. Um, so just one last thing. I just want to make an announcement to all of those who are listening out there. Some people know, some don't. But I am the executive director of an organization I started last year called the Friends of the Iron County Sheriff. And that organization, uh, thanks to all of your generosity, um, was able to raise over $30,000 in response to the hate killings that we had at the beginning of the year in, in Enoch. And those funds were slotted for additional mental health help for the first responders who had to uh, respond to that horrific scene. And through your generosity, we've been able to provide over 100 additional hours of mental health uh, counseling um, and some alternative uh, therapies, EMDR, craniosacral therapy, even yoga. Um, and get these guys the help they need. So we are starting our next campaign now. Uh, we have spoken with uh, Sheriff Ken Carpenter. We've got a great sheriff here in Iron County. Yes, we do. And he has indicated that his department is in need of an explosives-trained canine. What happens is if a gun or a bomb is called into one of our schools, we have to wait for either the state to send somebody or St. George to send somebody that has a canine that is trained, and that can actually take hours that can delay and in those hours, the potential for tragedy is very high. So we're in the process. We've launched Operation Woof. And you can go to friendsoficsheriff.org. We're a 501c3. All of your contributions are tax deductible. And there will be a drop-down menu there on our donations page. And you can put funds aside for continu continuing mental health for our first responders or for Operation Woof. Or there's a, a link there for BiTap, which provides bilateral tapping devices that are a mental health tool um, for first responders. So you just choose that drop-down menu or just general funds. Our mission is to uh, provide additional resources identified by the sheriff to first responders in our community, and that can involve scholarships for additional training that's not within the county budget, that can uh, uh, individual aid for officers or deputies who need uh, stuff. So anything that the sheriff's office recognizes as a need, we are raising funds for. So we hope that you will go to friendsoficsheriff.org and would be compelled to help us bring that resource to our community. We want to thank you all for listening. We have here coming on uh, in just a few minutes another one of our city council candidates, Ms. Kathy Long, will be coming in. And then throughout the week, we have other candidates who will be coming in, and we will get those up to this is Dan Kidder with the What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast, and Cedar City Politics interviews. We thank you for checking in. We'll talk to you soon.